0: Why do your ears pop when you're in the mountains? Why do your ears pop? You know what I mean. You get up in the mountains and all of a sudden they pop. Why does that happen? Well, it is atmospheric pressure. What is atmospheric pressure? Well, atmosphere's pressure is because the earth's gravitational field is pulling at air. And that pulling of the air can also be referred to as pressure. So... How much atmospheric pressure are you under right now? Well, according to information from NASA, right now there is about 14.7 pounds of atmospheric pressure coming down on every square inch of you. So, how many square inches do you have? <laughs> I'm not meddling, you know, it, I'm just gonna give an average number, okay? Basically, the average adult has about 3,000 square inches of skin, okay? So that means that, give or take, you have about 44,000 pounds of pressure from the atmosphere on you right now. If that's hard to visualize, let me put it in other terminology. The average full-size SUV is about 5,000 pounds. So right now, you have about nine Explorers or Tahoes pressing down on you right now. So the question has to obviously be, wait a minute, how in the world is that really happening? What, What is that atmospheric pressure doing to me? In the words of Mr. Miyagi, why am I not being squashed like a grape right now? Well, the reason why is because you have air inside of your body. And that air inside of your body is there to balance out the pressure of the inside and the outside. So the inside air of your body is making sure that those nine SUVs are not squishing you like a grape. That makes the human body pretty incredible, right? I mean, that the body is able to do that. I mean, surely, at the very least, it's irresponsible to say that our bodies just just happen. Dr. Joseph Peturi, who is the provost of Temple Baptist College in Cincinnati, says this. The basic chemicals in our body can be found in the dust of the ground. However, these chemicals cannot arrange themselves into cell tissues, organs, and systems. This can only happen with an input of intelligence. We are more than the chemicals that form our body. We are a special creation of God. Man is God's masterpiece. So part of that masterpiece Is your ears popping? When you're driving in the mountains, science tells us that the number of molecules in the air are decreasing. Therefore, the the air pressure is increasing. And so your ears pop to balance out the pressure of the inside and the outside. Just a little bit of interesting, little something-something you can share with your family and friends when you're riding in the mountains. Something that will make you look cool in the car when your ears start popping. But let's move from ears to the nose. Imagine that you're driving in the mountains in a brand new 5,000-pound SUV. The pressure in the mountains, again, is, is higher than it is at sea level, so, so something's going to happen. But while you're in that brand new 5,000-pound SUV, you're going to be smelling something, too. Your ears aren't just going to be popping, you going to be smelling something what are you gonna smell new car smell right some people love new car smell they love it so much they will go out and buy a new car scented air freshener for their 72 Ford Pinto (laughs) they love that smell marketers are trying to pick up on this more than they ever have before Jim Donovan of Channel 3 CBS in Philadelphia says this, smells, taste, and touch are being used by retailers to get you to open your wallet. And you know what some people are calling this? Wait for it. Atmospheric pressure. That's right. They're saying that the sights and the sounds and the smells and the touches around your immediate atmosphere are creatively designed to pressure you into buying whatever you are seeing or smelling or touching or hearing. And it's working, isn't it? I mean, I can smell those Cinnabombs from the stoplight outside of the mall. I don't even have to go inside. Taste, touch, hear, sight, smell. Our whole lives are somewhat defined by atmospheric pressures, by the benefits of our senses. Now let me bring a little more force into those pressures, a little more force into our senses. A couple of weeks ago, neuroscientist David Eagleman proposed at a conference that we can only see about 10 trillionth, only about 10 trillionth, of what's around us. okay? Just just a little bit is all we can see. Now, I'm not great with fractions or decimals. The extent of my fractional knowledge is that a fourth of a cinnamon roll is not enough cinnamon roll. (laughs) And as far as decimals go, I just know that the ones on the left of the decimal in my checking account, I want them to be higher than lower. That's about as far as I go with fractions and decimals. But I think If Eagleman's right, and we can only see a ten trillionth of what's out there, I think that means that there are ten trillion things that we cannot see. Ten trillion amazing, stunning things that we cannot taste, and we cannot smell, and we cannot hear, and we cannot touch. More than our eyes and our senses can comprehend. What if I were to tell you that Eagleman's proposition is definitely true when it comes to having faith in Jesus Christ? That there are 10 trillion joys of Easter that go beyond our ability to really comprehend. They go beyond our ability to see. We cannot get them in the atmospheric pressure of one sermon on one Sunday a year. They're just too great, they're too fantastic. Peter was writing a letter to Christians who were suffering. Christians who were having a really, really hard time. They were having a hard time in their marriage. They were having a hard time with their parents. They were having a hard time with their kids. They were having a hard time at work and at school. They were having a hard time with their health. And so how does he encourage them? What does he write to them to encourage these people who were really having it tough? Well, he writes to them to encourage them that the fact that they could only see a 10 trillionth is great news. He wants them to see that that limited knowledge is actually wonderful. How? Well, let's find out. Look with me at 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 8. Peter says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. Bernadette Campbell is about seven months old. A few weeks ago, her dad, Gary, was holding her for the very first time. You see, Gary's a lieutenant in the Navy, and he's been away for seven months on duty. So this was the the first time he got to see Bernadette. Bernadette. Now, I'm sure with modern technology that either through FaceTime or Skype or even the the email of a picture that he'd probably seen Bernadette before, at least before February 24th. But on that day, he got to see her and he got to hold her firsthand and in person. But what if he hadn't? What if there was no FaceTime and no Skype and no email? What if he had never seen Bernadette until that moment On February 24th. Does that mean he didn't love her until then? I mean, can you imagine him hugging his pregnant wife by before he goes on duty? And he says, honey, look, I know I've seen the ultrasound. And I know we've heard the baby's heartbeat on that little Doppler monitor. But you know what, sweetie? I can't really love the baby until I can actually see the baby. Do you think the lieutenant turned to his Navy buddies while he's out on duty and said, Man, I can't wait for my baby to be born so I can start loving the baby. No. No, he loved her long before he saw her. He loved her and was already loving her when the ultrasound nurse turned to them and said, You see that little blinking spot on the screen? That's the baby's heart. Peter saw Jesus. Peter ate meals with Jesus. Peter went to church with Jesus. He heard Jesus teach. But now he's writing to people who had never seen Jesus. People just like me and like you. And what does he say to them? These these suffering people, what does he say to them? He tells them, your love in Jesus is real. Your love for Jesus Christ is real, even though you haven't seen him. You see, Lieutenant Campbell, his love for Bernadette, it was real before he saw her. Why? Well, because the ultrasound pictures and the, the heartbeat on the monitor and his wife's expanding tummy, all of these things revealed to him that Bernadette was real. This is what Paul said to the church at Corinth. For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, about 2,000 years ago, a very young woman had a tummy that started expanding because there was another heartbeat inside of her. And that baby was born about six miles outside of modern-day Jerusalem. And that baby grew up to be a carpenter. And the age of 30, that carpenter left his shop and he began to strategically love people, to strategically heal people, and to strategically turn to them and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And some people saw him And they heard Him, and the light of the glory of God shone in their hearts, and they believed in Him, and they followed Him. But some people saw Him, and they heard Him, and they rejected Him. They did not believe in Him. You see, seeing is not always believing, because lots of people saw Jesus, and yet they didn't believe. If Jesus Christ were to come back to Casey in West Columbia and the Midlands today and do all the same things that we see Him doing in the Gospels and the Bible, there would be a lot of really nice southern people who would reject Him. They would not believe Him. You see, just like in the time of Christ, unchurched people and churched people, even today... They want more than Jesus. Jesus is not enough. He's not enough answer for them. He's not what they really want. He's not what they expect. What Peter is saying to these suffering Christians in a sense is this. Don't be concerned when someone says to you, you know what? Seeing is believing. Because what Peter says is this. Loving is. Is seen. Loving is seen. Believing is seen. What does that mean? Look at verse 8 again. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him. The key word there is now. See, I have never physically seen Jesus Christ and I cannot physically see Jesus Christ today. But because of my salvation, because the light of the glory of God has shone into my heart, I have the confidence that I will see Jesus one day, and the promise that I will have joy forever and ever and ever in Him. You see, my faith in Jesus Christ is is not some blind leap of faith. It's not some irrational, intellectual, religious conviction. My faith in Jesus Christ is a firm belief in the person of Jesus Christ. Not just as a historical figure, not just as a great teacher, but as my Savior because He is the Savior of the world. Greg Gilbert describes faith in Christ this way Jesus, if you don't catch me, I'm done. I've no other hope, no other Savior. Save me, Jesus, or I die. See, we don't feel that way naturally. See, we need the Spirit of God to help the gospel make sense to us. We need the Spirit of God to to help us see the power and the authority and the love of the message of the gospel. So what is the gospel? This is how Paul said it to the church at Corinth. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. That's that's a pretty succinct picture of the gospel. Thank you, Paul, for making it very simple. Jesus Christ died for our sins. He was buried as a dead man. And on the third day, he rose to life. He conquered death. And as the choir sang, death is now dead, and love has won. Sometimes I think we really forget the power of this. You see, I need the Spirit to help me see that I'm dead in my sin, I need the Spirit to help me see that I am desperate to be rescued. And I need the Spirit to help me to see that I am dependent on Jesus because nobody else can rescue me. Nobody else. So I need Jesus. So where do I find him? Do I go out in the parking lot and look up in the clouds and and try to find a picture of Jesus in the clouds? Do I go home and and make a grilled cheese sandwich and put it out on the counter and see if I can find a picture of Jesus, an image of Jesus in the crust? No. No. When it comes to the comfort of my soul, do I depend totally on my family and my friends and my favorite sports team or the Pope or the pastor? No. No, see, in order for me to find Jesus, I have to actually look at Jesus. Not someone's opinions about Jesus. Not someone else's description of Jesus not just what the special on A&E or the history channel says about Jesus but the Jesus of the Bible. You see my family, my friends, they know bits and pieces about me. They they know things about me. But if you were to pull everything that my family and friends know about me and put it in one place, first of all, I'd be really nervous if all of that came in one actual place. But if it did, then you'd have a much better picture of who I am, right? That's what makes the Bible so great. It's what makes the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so so great. Pastor John Piper puts it this way. The Gospels are better than being there. You go with him through Gethsemane, and the trial, and the crucifixion, and the resurrection, and the meetings after the resurrection. You hear whole sermons that take you deeper than you ever could have gone. As a perplexed peasant in Galilee, you see the whole range of his character and his power, which nobody on earth saw as fully as you can now see. His freedom from anxiety with no place to lay his head, his courage in the face of opposition, his unanswerable wisdom, his honoring women, his tenderness with children, his compassion toward lepers, his meekness and suffering. His patience with Peter, his tears over Jerusalem, his blessing those who cursed him, his heart for the nations, his love for the glory of God, his simplicity and devotion, his power to still storms and heal the sick and multiply bread and cast out demons. We get to see all of that. He goes on to say this. Though you do not see him now, yet in another sense... You do see him far better than thousands who saw him face to face. See, loving Jesus is seeing Jesus. And believing in Jesus is seeing Jesus. If you do not know the Jesus of the Bible, then I plead with you to find a Bible. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And may God have mercy on your heart and your mind. May the Spirit help you see and turn to and trust in Jesus Christ as your only rescue and your only hope. Because there is no other rescue and hope outside of Jesus. But why should you do that? Why should you consider Jesus? Why should you try to have faith in Jesus Christ or find out anything about what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ? Well, Peter tells us, look at verse 8, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. When Lieutenant Campbell held Bernadette for the first time, there's not really words that match that moment, Right? I mean, you can't really put words into your mind that capture the joy of that moment. Faith in Christ is so full of joy that we can't really express it. We can't really explain it. I mean, we try, right? I mean, I'm trying right now, you know, in this sermon to express what it means to have joy in Christ. Our choir tried to express the glory and the power and the authority and the crowning of the King of Jesus. Jesus. We have sermons, we have Sunday school lessons, we have songs, we have worship services, we have sculptures and paintings and cross-stitch and all kinds of things that we use to try to express the joy that we have in Jesus, but we really can't do it. It is inexpressible. Why? Because we only see a ten trillionth of the joy. There are ten trillion things about the joy of knowing Jesus Christ that that we can't see. And what Peter's doing is, is trying to help these Christians who are struggling. He's trying to help these people whose life is hard to see that the 10 trillionth, it's enough. And that there's something inside of that 10 trillionth that makes all of our joy and all of our faith in Jesus Christ so worth it. And what is that one thing? Well, that one thing is the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the greatest joy of Easter. But you know, some people say it's just a myth. It's just a legend. It's just a fairy tale. Just a few quick questions in response to those notions. What makes a very wealthy, important man in the community take the body of a man who's actually not dead and put it in his expensive tomb, only to become the laughingstock of the community? How do you explain the Roman government, the proud Roman government, putting its official seal around a tomb of a man who was not actually dead? There was no smartphones back then. There was no way to capture what was going on and put it on YouTube. So how do you explain that more than 500 people, different times, different places, over a number of days saw Jesus? Is is that just a hallucination? I mean, you think if 500 people went into a courtroom and, and gave the exact same testimony to the judge, the judge would say, I don't know, I think these folks are hallucinating. And what about the women? In ancient Greece, in ancient Rome, if you wanted to go out in the community and prove a point and get people behind your idea, would you go and get women to be your key witnesses? They were looked down upon in tremendous ways in that culture. And yet, who were the first people at the tomb? Women. Who were the first great, wonderful key witnesses? Women. And what about Paul? I mean, really, what do you do with the fact that the lead terrorist against Christianity became a Christian after he was confronted by the risen Christ? And what about the disciples? Before the resurrection, they were weird fraidy cats. After the resurrection, they were bold. Courageous lions. How does that happen? And what did the disciples get for following Jesus? What did the early Christians get for claiming this resurrection? Did they get fame? Did they get power? Book deals? Movie deals? No. Did many of them get executed? Yes. See, it just doesn't make rational sense, philosophically or spiritually. To say that these early Christians gave up so much and gave up so deep for a myth and a fairy tale, a legend, or a lie. Someone has put it this way. If Jesus is dead, Christianity is the meanest, cruelest hoax that has ever been performed. We're praying to this man. We're singing to this man. On our deathbed, we trust our eternity to this man. What a cruel, false hope if Jesus is a dead man. But he's not a dead man. We're here today to acknowledge, not just on some religious whim, but as actual historical fact that Jesus is alive. Robert Lowry put it this way. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain, and he lives forever with this saints' terrain. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. The greatest joy of Easter is the resurrection. The most wonderful truth of Christianity is the resurrection. But what does that joy lead to? Or maybe put another way, what is the end of your faith? Where does your faith end up? Well, that depends. If you are rejecting Jesus Christ today, then that means that your faith is in yourself, it's in your good works, it's in your family. It's in your work ethic. It's in your responsible bill paying. And if your faith is in you, then the Bible says that the end of your faith is an end full of terror and pain and sorrow and complete alienation from everything that is happy, everything that is holy, everything that is good, and everything that is full of love and joy. It's not the end that anybody wants. But Peter says, if you're believing in Jesus, if you're clinging to Jesus, if you're trusting in Jesus, if you're relying on Jesus as your only source of rescue and hope, then your end is completely different. The end of your faith is completely different. Look at verse 9. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. I am saved. I am being saved. One day I will be gloriously saved. I will say again, the greatest thing in the universe is being saved. The greatest thing in the universe is being right with God. Whatever else you think is great, it is not. Let me lovingly and graciously just hurt our feelings for the good of our soul. Nothing else in this world is greater than salvation in Jesus Christ. Not our country, not Carolina, not Clemson, not your family, not the best restaurant, not your children, not your grandchildren, not a new car, not a great church, nothing, 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 nothing is greater in this universe than knowing Jesus Christ. Nothing. It is everything it's cracked up to be. Knowing Jesus, loving Jesus, believing in Jesus, having joy in Jesus, there is nothing like it. These are not pipe dreams of some irrational intellectual religion. These are hope-filled realities with promises that will be kept. When she was six weeks old, Fanny Crosby was struck with blindness. Six weeks old. She's blind her whole life. She wrote some of the most beloved hymns about Jesus that the world knows. She was asked one time if she regretted being blind. She was asked if, if she was sore or bitter about spending her life not being able to see. This was her response. Thanks to my blindness, the first thing I'll see is the face of my beloved Savior welcoming me to his heaven. Fanny Crosby couldn't even see a 10 trillionth of what was around her. But because of her faith in the risen Jesus, she had perfect vision. She understood The 10 trillion joys. And today, the picture of that woman that you just saw on the screen, the reason it's just a picture is because it's not true of her anymore. Her faith is now sight, and her sight is now sight. The 10 trillion joys, they're not promises. They are realities. My greatest hope for every one of us in this room, on this day and for all the days we have left on this earth, would be that we would love Jesus, that we would believe in Jesus, that we would see Jesus, that we would have joy in Jesus, because without him, we die. But with him, death is dead. Love has won. And with him, we have life, and life that lasts forever. He is risen. There is no greater news than that? Let's pray.